The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We will talk about the five most impactful Packers on offense. We will talk about the Brewers and Rays as the Brewers notched a big victory. We will also do some rumors. Where are these Derrick Rose rumors coming from? We'll talk about some other stuff going on in the NBA that relates to the Milwaukee Bucks. And then lastly, we will do a new edition of the Tap List. Yes, I found a name for our rankings segment, we are going to rank the least viewable baseball stadiums in honor of having to watch two games in Tropicana Field. And that will be today's show. You guys can follow us on social media platforms, on Twitter at Tabbing the Keg, Tabbing the Keg Sports on Instagram. We have to get that up. We've uh, not had a lot of likes this week on the reels, so make sure that you're sending your likes in. Uh, also, you can DM me if something sucks. You'll be like, hey, this wasn't that good. It missed the mark. I'm okay. I can do deal with criticism. Tabbing the Keg Sports on TikTok. We are almost at the same amount of followers as Instagram. That is absolutely wild. Make sure you're following us there. And Tabbing the Keg Sports on Facebook if that is your platform of choice. Also, make sure that you're rating and reviewing. I say it every podcast. It does not seem to work. I don't know if I need to say it at the middle of the show. I don't really know if I need to say it at the end of the show. Maybe I'll say it at the end as a reminder, and we'll see if that works. Um, and also share with your friends. Yeah, the deal still stands. Fourth of July weekend, you could use a beer on me. Show me that you've shared this podcast with your friends, or you can send me like a video of talking about it or having the podcast on while you're drinking, boozing on the lake. I'm all the way for that. Um, any which way, I will make sure to Venmo you a beer so you can have one on the Tapping a Keg account. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers, shall we? The Green Bay Packers have been not necessarily a topic of conversation on this podcast. Uh, it's a dull time, admittedly. It's kind of the dog days of football, if you will. Um, there's a lot happening in the football world, but it's all not good things, whether it's the Deshaun Watson scandal, whether it's what's going on with the commanders. Uh, things are not necessarily rosy in the NFL, but none of it pertains to the Green Bay Packers, which is a good thing after last year where Aaron Rodgers was the center of all the drama. Aaron Rodgers was basically the reality show that the NFL never knew they needed. They pounded that Aaron Rodgers story about as hard as Riley Reed gets pounded in most of her porn videos. And now they, they don't have that golden goose. That golden goose doesn't exist. So therefore, the Packers are off in obscurity. That is perfectly okay. I don't think any of us are complaining that the Packers are sort of a afterthought in the world of the NFL. But I know that there are a few of you who enjoy hearing Packer content. I actually was out drinking with a guy, shout out Henny, uh, on Saturday. And he mentioned how he's his listening is for the Packer content. So here's where I am. And I'm a man of the people. And I was like, you know what? We need to be doing some Packer stuff. I wanted to do some Packer stuff last week. And then the draft happened and everything else. So I was like, here we go. Let's talk about impactful Packers for next season. Has a nice little ring to it. And let's talk about the offense. Now, when I say impactful Packers, I don't necessarily mean guys that are going to be the best players on the field. Will there be some of the better players on that Packer offensive roster? You bet your ass. But I do think impact means how can this Packers team go from what I think will be a pretty good to great team to an elite team, to a Super Bowl team. To me, that is where impact lies. That's my definition of impact. I think everybody will have a different opinion of what impact means to them. Because I think it's a 
necessarily a loaded word, but it's a word that I think can be twisted and turned in a lot of ways, especially when we're talking sports and we're talking different things. So that to me is where I would imagine some fans would see Impact as the best players on the field. So yes, there will be some of them, but there also might be some notable omissions. But let's get into it and start with the number one, which is obvious, and it's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has had back-to-back MVP seasons for the Green Bay Packers. He has been on absolute fire for the last two years. Aaron Rodgers came in 2020 with a chip on his shoulder, and that chip on his shoulder hasn't really left him. Now Aaron Rodgers got paid, and you could say maybe that chip goes away. Maybe Aaron Rodgers loses a step. It's hard to expect Aaron Rodgers to be at the peak of where he was the last two years. I think there is another conversation for another time. Did the Packers miss the last window of Aaron Rodgers? But window conversations are something that everybody goes back to the well. It's like that snack you have there. You're, it's always there for you. For me, it's pretzels. Like I eat pretzels maybe every day. And pretzels are that go-to snack. Like window conversations are a go-to snack for any local or national host of NFL content. But Aaron Rodgers still will be great and still will have an impact for this team. I will be very curious to watch this Packers offense without Devontae Adams. How does Aaron Rodgers manage? What does Aaron Rodgers do differently? Will we see more running and less of Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers has been an absolute freak with Matt LaFleur. There's no way to sugarcoat about it. Aaron Rodgers needed Matt LaFleur. Whether Aaron Rodgers would ever admit that in a podcast with Pat McAfee or anybody else, but Aaron Rodgers needed LaFleur. LaFleur saved Aaron Rodgers' career. I don't think that's a hot take. Look at this stat that I that was pulled. I think Peter Bukowski either quote tweeted it or retweeted it, but Rodgers is 32-0 and zero in terms of a quarterback to interception ratio off play action in the last two years. Now you might remember, I think Bukowski quote tweeted this part of it, that Mike McCarthy did away with play action because Aaron Rodgers didn't want to do it. Because Aaron Rodgers did not like his back to the defense. There are articles that you can find at the tail end of McCarthy's tenure with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers got his way. And Aaron Rodgers did not succeed in those years, coincidentally enough. But play action has made Aaron Rodgers thrive. And I think there will be even more play action with the lack of Devontae Adams. And I do think that Aaron Rodgers is good enough to make a number one receiver. I think that Aaron Rodgers will appreciate the challenge. I think he will like that this team might actually be a little more creative, that they might do some different stuff. Sure, it might take time for some of the newer receivers to gain the quote-unquote trust. And when I say newer receivers, I mean more like Watson, Dobbs. If Torre makes the team, Juwan Winfrey, another name potentially, right? But I don't think Sammy Watkins is going to need that much time to gain the trust like you see that he has with Alan Lazard. But I think Aaron Rodgers can have a great year. I don't think you should expect him to win MVP. But that's more... It's really hard to win three straight MVPs, especially in the media cycle that we have with the MVP voters. Now, this last year was there was nobody left. Like Aaron Rodgers basically killed everybody by the end of it. He was Cersei in that scene in Game of Thrones where she just murders basically the entire village, right? 
that was Aaron Rodgers with the MVP race by the end of it. Everybody had their flaws. And at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers had the least amount of flaws. I don't expect that to be this year, whether it's Mahomes, whether it's Joe Burrow, whether it's Josh Allen. I think all of Justin Herbert's another name that I could easily see uh, potentially being MVP. But yeah, if Aaron Rodgers has a, let's say they, the Packers only lose two games, maybe they top their 13 win record from the last couple of years. Maybe then there is some real hype around Aaron Rodgers for a third straight MVP, which only has been done by Brett Favre. Brett Favre is the only guy to do it. It's an unprecedented thing. And Rodgers would get yet another check mark with Brett Favre, which is crazy. And it's crazy how similar their careers have been besides the whole leaving the Packers and then going to the Vikings, which I don't foresee Rodgers doing at the tail end of his career. But yes, Rodgers, I think, is going to have a major impact on how this Packers team goes. I mean, that's every year, right? Like there are some obvious ones that are, A, it's going to take you to an elite team, but also you need that guy to deliver the goods if you even want to be a good team. And that's what Aaron Rodgers brings to the table. Number two is Alan Lazard. Look, Alan Lazard needs to be great this year. I made the case, I think about a month ago, why Alan Lazard can be a number one wide receiver. I think he has all the tools. I think the stats line up. I think Alan Lazard is ready for that next step. Can Alan, Will Alan Lazard have some trouble against certain cornerbacks? I think so. I don't think Alan Lazard is going to have as easy of a time against some of the best corners in our league. I think guys like, oh, well, I'm trying to think, Jalen Ramsey, I guess, is the best example, right? because you'll deal with Jalen Ramsey later in the year, that's going to be a challenge for Alan Lazard. That, that is not going to be easy. But I do think that Alan Lazard is crafty. I think Alan Lazard can take advantage of opportunities and find different ways in. He's not going to burn guys. He's not going to get guys off the block like you see with Devontae Adams. But Alan Lazard is going to do things that work out well. And Alan Lazard and Rodgers have a very good chemistry, a chemistry that is similar to Adams and Rodgers. It's not at that level, it, nor will it ever be, right? It's kind of similar to Rodgers and Nelson. Like Rodgers and Jordy Nelson had an undeniable connection. And Jordy Nelson, to me, had more of a connection with Aaron Rodgers than Devontae Adams did, even though I would say by the end, it got pretty damn close. Now, Rodgers has to try to do the same thing with Lazard, which, as mentioned, I think he can do it. And I also think Alan Lazard is up for it. I think Alan Lazard is a smart guy. I think Alan Lazard can come through and have a major year for the Green Bay Packers. And he needs to stay on the field. He needs to stay healthy. And he's going to have a major impact on the Packers' success this season. Number three is whoever plays right tackle. So I think people would expect David Bakhtiari, but my answer is actually for the right tackle position because odds are they will not have Elton Jenkins back until mid-November. And with how Bakhtiari's ACL tear was an absolute shit show, I realized that all ACL tears are not the same. I am going to basically be as pessimistic with a guy who's been hurt than I've been in a long time just because I don't know what to expect. I really don't. Like I, I would love to tell you that Elton Jenkins is going to be back in the middle of the year and everything will be copacetic and there won't be anything to worry about and we'll have Elton Jenkins for the stretch run and I'm sure we'll mention it. But I'm, I'm not going to hold out hope. I'm just going to believe it when I see it. I think I got I put myself too high on a pedestal with Bakhtiari that I'm not going to do it again with Elton Jenkins. So because of that, whoever's starting at right tackle has to have an impact this year. 
They have to protect Aaron Rodgers' right side. The Packers have had a very good offensive line for the last few years. That is credit to Adam Stenovich. Now, Stenovich having more responsibilities as the offensive coordinator of this team, I do not know if that's going to affect line play. I think it should be all right. I don't think I don't see anything actually changing, but I do imagine that you might get a little less coaching from Stenovich because he's the offensive line coach, or I'm sorry, the off- offensive coordinator, and that might lead to maybe a little bit of a, a step back. And so those playing right tackle, it is very important that they give maybe half of Elton Jenkins. I'm not expecting them to be Elton Jenkins. Elton Jenkins is one of the best offensive linemen in all football, right? Like I'm not expecting them to be Elton Jenkins. But if Josh Neiman, who's probably the contender and the top spot for that right tackle position, if Josh Neiman plays like he did last year, the Packers have nothing to worry about. I still cannot get over Josh Neiman not playing in the San Francisco playoff game. That, to me, if the Packers do not win a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, I will be bothered by that Josh Neiman thing till the day I die. Like, I'll be on my deathbed saying, if they just would have started Josh Neiman, they win this football game. I am convinced of that. I, I truly am. I thought Josh Neiman played so much better than Billy Turner last year and Dennis Kelly. I thought it made no sense. So Josh Neiman, to me, is the clear-cut favorite at that right tackle position. Now, I do think Zach Tom, even though he's undersized for tackle, I think Zach Tom could compete for that spot. I think Cole Van Lannan, the kid from Wisconsin, who basically had a redshirt year last year for the Green Bay Packers, I could see Van Lannan contending for that spot as well. They've had some good success with guys in the late rounds from Wisconsin at the right tackle position. Mark Tauscher, ever heard of him. But seriously, like I think that right tackle position is going to matter so much for the Green Bay Packers just because you're replacing Elton Jenkins. You hopefully have Bakhtiari back. I'm assuming Bakhtiari is coming back. And trust me, if Bakhtiari isn't back, that is a major panic button and we have to reset how we think about the upcoming season. Number four is Aaron Jones. I thought long and hard about Aaron Jones versus A.J. Dillon. And I, I was like, well, who is going to have more of an impact for this team? And I think because of Aaron Jones's ability to catch out of the backfield, A.J. Dillon's very good at it. I think that was a criticism for A.J. Dillon out the gate at Boston College. I think we could make a shirt like A.J. can't catch or something like that. Because seriously, everybody thought A.J. Dillon could not catch a football. He's very good at catching footballs. But I think what Aaron Jones provides is four to six catches a game. I think A.J. Dillon's more like two to four. I think Aaron Jones can do more out on the football field and have more of an impact. I also think when Green Bay has Aaron Jones plus A.J. Dillon, they are very hard to beat. It is one of the best running back duos in all of football. And the Packers need to treat it like that. I realize they have Aaron Rodgers. And I realize when you have a running back duel like that, Usually you don't have an MVP first ballot Hall of Famer Hall of Famer behind center. But I do think that Green Bay needs to use Dylan and Jones as much as possible in the run game, in the pass game. But I, I ultimately it's Jones who I ended up on the impact because of his ability to catch the ball, his ability to break plays. He to me is a guy that can do so much for the Green Bay Packers. And and the other thing is Packers are just a better team when he's healthy. He's had some injury issues. I think that's part of the reason they drafted Dylan in the first place. But I do think that AJ, AJ Aaron Jones, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes when you're doing AJ and Aaron, you get 
get messed up. I also know of an AJ Jones back in my high school days or whatever. So I, it's it's a hard thing to sometimes always bring together. But but Aaron Jones will have a really good year for the Green Bay Packers. And I think if Aaron Jones has the year that I think some of the fantasy boys are expecting him to have, I think that the sky's the limit for this Green Bay Packers team. I think, I really do. I think it could be all systems go and Green Bay could look almost better. One thing to look at, if you ever want to see where Aaron Jones's impact could live, look at like the games against Dallas with Matt LaFleur, right? Where the Packers came into Dallas, they were really beat up, they didn't have Devontae Adams, and Aaron Jones went absolutely off both in the run game and in the pass game. Kansas City game is a great example of Aaron Jones going crazy on both catching the football as well as running the football. Those are great examples of, I think, the impact you could see from Aaron Jones. If you really want to understand what Aaron Jones' impact will be this season, I would ask you to watch the tape of the 2019 season when Devontae Adams was out. And to me, that is where I think you will see the full potential of Aaron Jones. I weirdly don't know if we have seen it yet, and I think this year we could get it. Number five, it will be Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs. Now, I know this is kind of cheating because you're like, Watson or Dobbs, shouldn't you pick one? I think rookie wide receivers are unpredictable. I think it's been easier to nail rookie wide receivers than years past because rookie wide receivers are more seasoned, they're more experienced, they understand the game of NFL, and the NFL and college, I think, are closer than ever. I don't think... It's this massive leap going to the NFL. So Watson and Dobbs could easily have impact. Both of them could, but I do expect one to break away. I obviously would assume it would be Watson, but if it's Dobbs, would I be surprised? No. I think it's really important that they make an early impact with this team, that they don't get you know caught up in playing with Aaron Rodgers, that they don't look across the huddle and see, holy shit, I'm catching a football from Aaron Rodgers. That, to me, can't happen for the Green Bay Packers. That, you need to just keep it within yourself. I think sometimes with these young guys, they try too hard with Aaron Rodgers. And so it's really important to keep their wits about them and build that trust, build that relationship. Is that relationship going to be there in the first six weeks of the season? No. It will probably be a little bit frustrating with either of those guys. But could we see by week 12... Everybody talking about Christian Watson being this breakout star, being the number one for the Packers, being that Devontae Adams replacement. Absolutely. Could you see Dobbs, you know, being this unheralded guy that the Green Bay Packers did it again? They got a guy in the later rounds and he's he is, you know, vital to what Green Bay is doing down the stretch as they fight for yet, yet again another number one seed. But this time it is going to be different. God hope so. If, let me tell you right now, this is an aside, but if the Packers are one seed again and do not get to the fucking Super Bowl, so help me God. Just, just that's all I'm going to say at this point, but it will be a very dark time in the month of January. But yes, those are my, that's my list. I think you could come up with a, a variety of different guys who could potentially make an impact. I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to send me a note on Twitter, tagging the keg. Technically Sports on Instagram as well. We will probably do a defensive version next week at some point. Uh, I don't think we'll do Friday because of the NBA free agency stuff. Um, maybe something to open up Wednesday, thir- thir- Tuesday or Wednesday 
back from the holiday, right? We'll do a show Tuesday, by the way. So we'll have a show Tuesday, won't have anything Monday. So maybe that's when we'll bring in and we'll talk about the defense. And again, it's not going to always be the best players. It's going to be the guys who can make the biggest impact for the team. Let's move on to a team that's actually playing and the Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee Brewers had a great win tonight. They win 5-3 to three against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. The Brewers were trailing 1-0 for a majority of the game. They were getting hits off Shane Baz. Uh, Dom Sorrento had it on Twitter. that The Brewers had the 10 hardest hits in the game and it amounted to, or 9 of the 10, excuse me, and it amounted to absolutely nothing. The Brewers couldn't do anything in terms of getting past Bass, but they weren't like not hitting him. Like he looked like to dominate, like by the, if you weren't watching the game and you were just checking on your phone, you'd be like, oh, Bass is dominating the Brewers. It really wasn't the case. They were hitting him hard. They just weren't hitting him in spots where outfielders or infielders were. Then Matt Whistler comes in the game and the offense goes off. And we'll talk a little bit about Andrew McCutcheon here in a second. Brewers get another dong from Weicho and they establish a lead. And they actually got it up to five to one. Seemed like smooth sailing. The eighth got a little hairy and then Josh Hader shut the door and the Brewers win five to three. It is the Brewers third straight win. It is the Brewers third straight game with five runs or more. This offense continues to cook the last 15 games. Mentioned it yesterday, has been really good for the crew, um, and they continue to show show that, and they got some really good pitching from Brandon Woodruff, and that's where we start with our three takes and out. Woodruff was tremendous tonight. Woodruff get, have struck out 10 batters. He went five innings. Uh, it was a really strong night for Brandon Woodruff, and that was so good to see because I don't know if we've really seen a lot of good Brandon Woodruff outings this season, like where it's like, oh, that is the all-star Woodruff that we came to know and love in the last few years. Woodruff was really, really solid tonight. And if this is the guy that we're going to see the rest of the season, I am absolutely here for it. And should we expect that? No, but I will say when a guy comes off the IL for a long stint and Woodruff was on the IL for what? six weeks or so usually that doesn't end well usually that first start it's like oh man it's a complete shit show and then the starts after that get a lot better but this was the peak to me of what we we could see from Brandon Woodruff and really solid stuff from Woody with the 10 strikeouts and the five innings I think the only thing that would come close to that would probably be that Pittsburgh start on the 20th of April where he allowed one hit and struck out nine. And that was kind of like, oh, Brandon Woodruff is back. But yeah, he had a rough May and he's bounced back now. And hopefully it is a springboard for the Brewers because the Brewers can get Woodruff and Burns consistently going and then get one more guy, they are fine. It is smooth sailing, full steam ahead. The Brewers, I think, could get hot and make a run but they're going to need that third guy. So whether that's Hauser, whether that's Lauer, um, they're going to need it from one of those two dudes. As mentioned about McCutcheon, Andrew McCutcheon hits a two-run homer. Brewers take the lead off that. Andrew McCutcheon's hot June continues. He's been absolutely great for the Brewers in the month of June. Will Salmon wrote a great piece about how Andrew McCutcheon basically 
changed up everything um, in the month of June after a really, really rough May. Started looking at a lot of tape and and he mentioned like when a guy starts his time with a new team, he doesn't always trust what the what the new coaches are saying, which is a weird thing to think about, but it makes sense. Like you're like, why would why would you immediately listen to a new coaching staff if what you've been doing has worked out? It's crazy to see the splits in the month of May compared to the month of June. In the month of May, Andrew McCutcheon had 14 hits on 72 at-bats for an average of 191, 94, excuse me. He had one home run, two doubles, so three total extra base hits and only took four walks and 17 strikeouts. For the month of June, which ends on Thursday, excuse me, so he has two more days, McCutcheon has 25 hits, so he's 11 more hits, only eight more bats, mind you. He has three doubles, but also has three home runs, so six extra base hits, 13 RBIs. He's taken 11 walks, only two strikeouts. He also got hit by two batters, so he's he's been on base an absolute fuck ton. His OBP is 409, so nearly 100 points higher, an OPS of 871. He is absolutely cooking right now. And in the last 15 days, he's been on an absolute tear. You just get out of the way right now for Andrew McCutcheon. And to have that heater is exactly what the Brewers need. I don't need a guy to be at an MVP level, right? I think we were all spoiled by watching Christian Yelich for two plus years. I also would argue that Wisconsin sports fans in general are spoiled because every time we turn on the Packers, we watch Aaron Rodgers and we get an MVP level performance pretty regularly, pretty consistently. And then anytime we turn on the box, we get an MVP performance from Giannis Antetokounmpo. And so I think we expect that we're always going to get that MVP performance. And the Brewers don't have an all-star, you know, in that starting nine. And I talked about it on yesterday's podcast. And hopefully I didn't come off mean but you just need this. You need one or two guys to like really be hot and then kind of rotate as the team MVP and hope by the end of the year that nobody's on a cold streak. And I think the Brewers are kind of showing that and we've really started to see this offense turn the corner. And maybe it's the Brewers finally listening to Ozzie Timmons. Maybe Ozzie Timmons has finally figured out what works with this team versus what didn't. And we're really starting to see this team come to life. And I, I've been very pleased with this Brewers offense because it's so really good. Uh, we haven't necessarily had that quote-unquote bad Brewers offense show up in a long time. I th- I'm trying – oh, well, I shouldn't say a long time because we had the uh, – which game was that? We had the uh, the one against the Cardinals, the game against Flaherty. Yeah, that was that was a bad one. But that's it's been few and far between, right? It hasn't necessarily been the consistent uh, for the Brewer offense. Last thing on the Brewers, Jason Alexander's bullpen outing was weird. Uh, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know that Jason Alexander was going to the bullpen. I would have appreciated a heads up from Craig Council as he's on my very serious fantasy baseball league i would have i would have appreciated a note like hey jason alexander we're moving him to the pen so now jason alexander will not be starting against pittsburgh that will now be adrian hauser who got bumped back and you will have for milwaukee tomorrow eric lauer against young jalen beaks so we'll see how that matchup goes i think actually alexander was scheduled to pitch friday 
now I would imagine. Oh, now it's Burns. So Burns and Rosny uh, Contreras, which should be a fun matchup. But we have no idea who's pitching Saturday. Nor does Pittsburgh. Uh, so we have no idea who anybody is facing off against each other on Saturday. And that was Alexander's spot. Now, could Alexander still pitch? Maybe. This might have been his day to throw. I'll be curious to hear what Clegg Council has to say. Um, they could go with Aaron Ashby. I guess Aaron Ashby could get activated. So maybe they feel like Ashby is going to be ready. I think that would be a great bounce back opportunity for Ashby facing a Pittsburgh team that has really struggled against left-handers. I mean, Patrick Corbin is probably the worst pitcher in baseball this year. And he absolutely shoved against the Pirates last night. Like he, Patrick Corbin is an auto bet against, right? And the Pirates shut him down. Or he got, the Pirates were shut down by him. And it cost me some money, but that's okay. You know, it happens. I should have looked at what he done earlier. He did, Pat Kramer there, uh, earlier this season. But regardless, we'll see what happens with the Alexander. But it's just a weird thing. I would not have put him in that situation. That, to me, was a little too high leverage. I would have used, even if you didn't want to use Williams in a four-run game, I would have used Gustav or I would have looked at maybe Suter in that spot. I would not have recommended to go with Alexander, but that's Craig Council. Craig Council does whatever the hell he wants. All right, let's move on to NBA rumors. We're going to be really tight on time with our tap list. We're already 30 minutes in here. So I have no idea where the Derrick Rose rumor started. I guess the Ringer reported that the Bucks could be interested in Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose would have to come over in a trade if that deal were to happen. I feel very confident in saying this is not going to happen. The Bucks do need to upgrade their backup point guard position. I think Javon Carter can do a good job in spurts, but they do need a guy in that backup point guard role, and it shouldn't be Derrick Rose. They can look and get better options than what Derrick Rose brings to the table. I am not a fan at all of what Rose has signed for. He's 33 years old. He's had multiple injuries. He has $14 million left on his deal. You could argue that it's an expiring because it's a club option. $15 million next year. So the Bucks could decline it, say, all right, we have Derrick Rose on the books for one year, and then it's done. So I, I guess I could see that, but it would probably mean trading Grayson Allen. And if you're trading Grayson Allen, then is it worth it? Like, is it really, is Derrick Rose really worth Grayson Allen? I don't think so. I don't think Derrick Rose plays enough defense there. I get that he's instant offense, but I do worry that the usage rate of Rose is way too hot for what the Bucks are doing, you know, on their team. It just does not seem like a fit. He does not seem like he would work in Bud's system. I feel like this is a smokescreen, whether it's a smokescreen for the Knicks to drive up value for Derrick Rose, or it's a smokescreen for the Bucks to say, all right, everybody thinks we're gonna get Derrick Rose. We're going another way with the point guard position. And that's what we're gonna use our trade pieces, whether it's Hill and Allen or just Hill and I don't think Bochamp, not, not a chance. I think I think there's a lot of Bochamp buzz. Like, I think you should buy stock in Bochamp. I feel much better about my Bochamp position than I did on Saturday. I, I just feel good. Like, I, I really do. I think the guy's going to have some moments next year. I don't think it's going to be, like, all in on there. But I think there is more experience than meets the eye. And I think maybe the Bucks got something there. We'll see. Maybe I'm too optimistic. We're going to have that out on the podcast tomorrow. A little tab in the keg preview there. But yes, I can't see Derrick Rose being a buck. I'd be very surprised if that happens. 
P.J. Tucker off the table. I don't think we ever expected a P.J. Tucker reunion, but it sounds like P.J. Tucker is going to do a three-year, $30 million deal with Philadelphia. Uh, at this point, P.J. Tucker is a mercenary. Um, it doesn't sound like James Harden wants P.J. Tucker to be on the team, uh, which is really interesting, right, uh, that James Harden doesn't necessarily vibe with what P.J. brings to the table. I don't know if it's up to James Harden, though. Um, we'll see, though. Dar- he is necessarily... Daryl Morey is his gimp, so I don't know. Maybe Morey will be like, yeah, I'll do whatever Harden says. You don't want P.J. Tucker? But that seems to be a done deal. Because um, remember, tampering doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Kyrie opted in. Kyrie uh, is one of the funnier guys in the league. Like, Kyrie just cracks me up. Like, everything Kyrie does is just so unconventional, so stupid. I don't think it's fair to Aaron Rodgers to compare Kyrie and him because Aaron Rodgers actually plays fucking football. I think it's actually disrespectful to Aaron Rodgers to put Kyrie in the same conversation. Kyrie is in his own world. Bill Simmons called it the Tyson zone. Like, it should be renamed the Kyrie zone. To me, like, Kyrie is that guy. Like, I don't think there is anything you could say about Kyrie Irving that I wouldn't find fucking crazy. Like, if you're like, oh, Kyrie Irving decided that he's going to go off to Kenya and hang out with goats in a local village. I'd be like, okay, cool. That's that. That sounds right. Sounds sounds like Kyrie, right? Um, so Ky, the Kyrie zone is a definite thing. Lastly, Jalen Brunson's going to be a Nick. I've never seen a team move mountains for a guy who's a role player. Uh, the Knicks have to have something else up their sleeve. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's trading R.J. Barrett for Donovan Mitchell. I don't know if it's, well, Julius Randle, I think, would actually be the guy because I don't think Julius Randle, the the relationship there, I don't think is exactly copacetic. I do understand how Jalen Brunson is like an ideal Tibbs guy. Like to me, if you had to draw up a guy in the lab that's a Tibbs guy, it's Jalen Brunson. I know his dad got hired by a team and all that chicanery. I get it. But it's more about the fit. Like the fit's there. Like a fit makes sense. At $110 million and trading all these assets, I don't think so. But if you trade all these assets and then you add a guy like Donovan Mitchell, for let's just say Julius Randle, I'm sure there'd have to be other parts discussed in there, maybe another team involved. Like I can't imagine that the Jazz wouldn't want picks back for Donovan Mitchell, and I actually think they'd want R.J. Barrett. But I, I think the Knicks want to hold on to R.J. Barrett. Like I think the Knicks want to do whatever they can to hold him. So maybe it's... Maybe it's Rudy Gobert. Could it be Rudy Gobert and Seth? Could it be? Could that be the move? And it's Rudy Gobert for Julius Randle. That's not an unfair like deal. I realize there could be picks and things like that, but like I don't hate that for both sides. I really don't. Like change of scenery. It's a total change of scenery trade, right? Gobert. There's a French contingent in New York. There's, I mean, every international guy has a contingent. You have that going for you. You add a shot blocker, as well as Mitchell Robinson. Maybe you move off Mitchell Robinson because Mitchell Robinson can't stay healthy. Or you just have maybe the best shot blocking duo in all of basketball, and it's not even close. But, yeah, I don't hate that. I, I don't. So maybe that's the move. We'll see. Um, definitely something to keep an eye on as we get closer and closer to free agency, even though free agency has kind of started. But no one seems to care about tampering anymore. So it's really cool the Bucks lost the pick. Hopefully they'll get that back. Oh, wait, they won't. That's, that's right. Moving on to the tap list. So it was kind of funny. I have this rankings thing. I'm talking about TRL. I'm like, yeah, I need a name for this. And I'm like, 
and I like literally I got done with the podcast. I'm like working on getting it set up, getting it live for everybody, and I'm like, should call this thing the fucking tap list. I'd use that name for something else that I did. I mean, I've tried so many different ideas. You don't even want to know, right? So many things that I've I've done it once, I've done it twice, and it's went by the wayside. But I like the tap list. It's perfect. It works. It fits in. It literally is perfect. Uh, And so I don't know if this will be an everyday thing, but it'll be definitely something when I don't have any really good Chuck's Corner stories. I don't have any stories about my life that are worth telling or something happened in pop culture and I can relate it back to my life. So this is the tap list for today is unwatchable baseball stadiums in honor of Tropicana Field. Uh, We were at the Brewer game on Sunday, Mitch and I, as well as Murph, and we met some really nice guys from Toronto. Uh, They were great dudes. Um, Everything people say about Canadians, I called the Alejandro Kirk home run to those guys because I hate Chi-Chi Gonzalez. And now Chi-Chi, credits Chi-Chi again, pitched really well after the first inning. I think we might, it's not a shirt, but like that might be a line for us. Credit to Chi-Chi. Like, it's like Chi-Chi credit. Like, you know, it's like you you have to treat him a little differently. And it's like, all right, just make it through the first inning for the love of God. And if you make it through the first inning, maybe we'll be all right. But Alejandro Kirk hits a home run off him. I told the guys they owed me a beer. They never bought me one, which was rude of them. But to be fair, I had enough beers on Sunday for my, yeah, it was more beers on Sunday than I've consumed in quite a long time. Not necessarily a Sunday beer drinker, which I think we went over on Monday's show, but they talked about how they enjoyed American Family Field, said it was very watchable, and they said Tropicana Field definitely the worst. And they do a trip every year. Tropicana Field not only is probably the worst to attend, it is the worst stadium to watch a baseball game. I am not excited to ever watch a game at Tropicana Field. There is nothing that gets me jazzed about Tropicana Field. A, there are empty seats. B, it is just dull on your TV. It looks like you're back in the 90s when you're watching games at the fucking Astrodome or something like that, right? I have no desire to watch games at Tropicana Field. They just bum me out. Now, granted, what was funny is there's some Brewer games where I watch 80%, 90%, and there's some where it's probably closer to 50 or 60, just depending on the day, whether it's Mitch and I are doing podcasts or, you know, my wife's watching something or whatever, maybe... I know, of course, I watched like 80% of today's game or 90% of today's game. So I was, it was on full display for me and all of its ugliness. But yeah, not a fan of it. Um, number two, the Marlins Park, Lone Depot Park, absolutely gross stadium. Um, I think because it's always empty. I have not seen that stadium full besides the All-Star game. I think the sight lines are really weird. It is not an enjoyable watch. I don't get fired up to watch the Brewers play in Marlins Park, like it's just not an exciting time. It just feels like a very stale environment. No, There's no excitement there. I think that's part of the baseball viewing experience. Like you wanna feel immersed in the crowd and if there is nobody there, it's really hard to get fired up when there is an absolutely just quiet of crowd. And that's what Marlins Park brings to the table. Number three on the list is going to be the Ranger Stadium, so Globe Life. Now, I know what you're saying. Charlie, Brewers haven't played at that new stadium yet. I don't know when they will play. Actually, we're going to play everybody next year, right, with the competitive balance schedule. So we will probably play there, maybe not next year, but definitely the year after. 
I am not a fan of that stadium. Um, that's the and the reason why is the 2020 World Series when they did that for COVID. I did not enjoy watching baseball games there. I just did not see the allure of it. I didn't see the excitement. Like, to me, it has a similar feel to what we see in Tropicana, where it just feels very stale. Um, now maybe maybe it can pick up. I also really like the ballpark at Arlington, their old stadium. I thought that was a great place to watch baseball games on TV. Fans are electric, it was loud, it was a fun fucking stadium because balls flew out of there. It was not, this stadium, it's not that, which is disappointing, right? You take some of the fun out of it. Like the whole reason why Coors is fun, now Grant Coors is beautiful, but one of the reasons why it's fun to watch games at Coors is because anything can fucking happen. I'll never forget the Brewer comeback with Manny Pena hitting the home run and Brewer capped off like a seven-run comeback for the Brewers. I was out because it was my wife's birthday, that at that time my girlfriend, and we were like, ah, oh, the Brewers are getting smoked, whatever. Continues on, and sure as shit, the Brewers come back and win that game, and it was awesome. Before I was doing reviews, too bad, because that would have been an epic uh, review. Number four, I'm going to say the National Stadium. I had the Diamondbacks, but I'm going to bump it up. Another AL East team, or NL East team, I do not get excited to watch games at Nationals Park. Maybe it's the bad vibes from 2019, but again, Nationals Park, it's it's just really big. Like, I think that's the theme of a lot of these. I don't really want to watch big stadiums, and these are all big fucking stadiums. The only one that I kind of like when it comes to big stadiums is Oakland. Now, I haven't seen Oakland in the present day where there's nobody at the game, and I'm sure that makes it very difficult as we talk about how these empty stadiums affect it. But I do like Oakland. There's something about it. I think I've watched a lot of playoff games there in the past. Like Oakland is a fun stadium to get yourself into. And it's a unique stadium because it's all the you know foul lines and the home run and everything like that. But yeah, big stadiums obviously are not my jam uh, because I have the Nationals Park there at four. Yeah, there are bad vibes there though too. You know, that playoff series loss was really tough. Um, definitely a what if, right? The Brewers have been sort of the good luck chuck of baseball. I think I did a podcast on that. I Man, I don't know when we did that. We might have did that. I think we did that last year. Um, or maybe 2020. I'm not sure. But I, there's definitely a podcast that I did of that. Because it's crazy how many times the Brewers have influenced a World Series champion. Lastly, uh, I'll go with the Diamondbacks. I had trouble. I actually had a tough time getting that last one. I'll say Diamondbacks um, again. It has that stale feeling. I think there's something to having a roof on a stadium. Just isn't that exciting. I think when the Brewers have their roof closed, that their, their stadium is less than exciting than when the roof's open. I think there's something about just watching open air baseball and how baseball should be. I feel that same way about NFL. I think if I were to do the least viewable NFL stadiums, I think we would we would put a lot of domes on that list as well. Um, there's just something about the elements that make a baseball game, a football game, something happen. And I'm thankful for the dome. I think the dome has helped the Brewers in more ways than one. And I do think, and this is probably biased, but I do think the Brewers dome experience is a lot better than some of the others we see in baseball. Let me know what you think. Let me know if there are any on your list. We're taking suggestions for the tap list. Why not? Um, we will probably do another one for Friday. Um, although we have been doing properly rated, overrated, and underrated on Friday. So maybe we'll pivot to that um, as we continue on with 
our copious amounts of segments. It feels good, man. I like it. So we'll probably do overrated, underrated, uh, properly for Friday. And then we'll come back with a tap list on Tuesday, unless there's something for my weekend that I have to talk about. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a great Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.